Spartan up. A first-timer takes on the Spartan beast. The funniest line of the day was when I was flying down an open field descent, passing people in big clumps, and I yelled, Come on, people, you're being passed by a 54-year-old guy. A lady looks at me sideways and responds, Yeah, but not a normal one. (laughs) I took that as a compliment. The great herds of hikers I passed were mostly pretty cranky about it. I don't get it. If you're out there, you might as well enjoy yourself. But I suppose if you're at the end of your rope and some hairy, half-naked old guy flies by yelling, Wee! It might piss you off. It wasn't easy, but it wasn't the hardest thing I've ever done. I was a bit out of my element, but I raced the Spartan Beast as best I could, and I did relatively well. I met my primary goal of not dying, and my secondary goal of not injuring myself. I did get nicked up, and I was a bit sore. It'll be a couple weeks before all the bruises, scrapes, and scratches heal. But nothing broken or sprained. I ran this event as a bit of a lark because they reached out to me and offered me an entry. My daughter, Teresa, went with me. She wanted to come along to do the sprint, so I signed her up too, and I was glad for the company. So we made the drive up to Killington, Vermont, Saturday morning. And I raced on Saturday and she raced on Sunday morning. So it was another nice endurance adventure weekend for us. And having been offered a complimentary entry, I figured I'd get my money's worth and run one of the events with a higher difficulty level. And when you look at the advertised events, it starts with the sprint. It moves up to the super and then up to the beast. The sprint is advertised as a 5K distance. The super is a 10K and the beast is around a half marathon. And there's a special shirt slash three-part medal if you do all three. There are also longer events, like running the Ultra Beast, which is the beast twice, and the Agage, which is some special gnarly multi-day event. Not knowing much about Spartan races, I signed up for the beast which is listed at 13 miles and 30 obstacles. I mean, it's only a half marathon, right? How long could it take? How hard could it be? I have my best adventures when I don't pay attention too much. Now, I'm in decent shape this summer, and I could jog any given half marathon in under two hours, so I figured I'd do this in under eh, four hours, right? Well, two weekends previously, I ran the very difficult Wapak Trail Race, which was 18 miles of technical single track, over four mountains, twice, in just about four hours. And at the end of July, I ran a hot trail marathon in around five hours. And that's twice as far as this beast, right? You see my logic here. So I looked up the Spartan training plans, and they were frankly terrifying. With hundreds of burpees, squats, and pull-ups, it was like something out of a gladiator movie, or that old Monty Python sketch about Ken the Boxer. I watched a few videos of races, and it looked reasonably engaging, but some of the athletes were clearly not in the best of shape. I asked Coach to give me some Spartan-specific training, but honestly, he thought it was a stupid idea. And he basically gave me the same training he always does, maybe with a bit more yoga and core work. And I can honestly say I think I did more burpees on the course than I had done in all of my training. And to summarize, I went into this Spartan Beast race having no idea what I was getting into and without training for it.
And guess what? I did really well. <laughs> That's right. I excelled. <laughs> I came in 10th of my age group out of 106 old guys. I was 220th out of 2,296 males, and I was 252nd out of 3,213 overall. And I think that's just the finishers. They pulled a large number of people off this course due to injury and time limits. So how is this possible? How did my tired old marathoner butt outperform all these millennial crossfitters? Well, it's simple. I actually trained for the race. They didn't. It turned out the obstacles were less than 1% of the course. 99% of it was technical mountain trail running. Well, it was technical mountain trail running for me. It was a miserable death march for all those well-chiseled millennial crossfitters who spent their training flipping tires and doing hundreds of pull-ups. I can honestly say, with a large dose of irony, that I was probably the only one who trained well, and course specifically in the whole crowd. I was able to fake the obstacles and play to my strengths. I just rolled off WAPAC in the Indy Trail Marathon. I was trained for this race. I think another advantage I had was a certain familiarity with long races and suffering. I can go pretty deep into the suffer locker when I need to and still compete. I got the impression that these folks weren't as familiar with the sweet suffering of a multi-hour endurance event. Don't get me wrong. If I had to compete in the global tire-flipping box-jumping games, I wouldn't last 60 seconds. I just happened to luck into a course that was basically a long mountain race. Still, it took me six and a half hours to get through the course, mostly because of the three or four near-vertical ascents of the mountain we did. It was slow going, especially in the last couple hours when I was well out of fuel. And what I discovered, as I was getting ready in the parking lot, was that the average open participant takes seven to nine hours. Really? I had no intention of staying out there that long. I told Teresa, four to six hours max. I mean, it's only 13 miles. The organizers told all of the waves starting after noon to carry headlamps and glow sticks, but I thought that was just more ridiculous Spartan hyperbole. And it turns out it wasn't. When I was leaving the venue that night, you could see the long line of headlamps trooping along the slopes on the mountain. Those technical descents would be really difficult in the dark. I'm glad I wasn't out there. There was some controversy because they let people start the beast up until 2 p.m., knowing the average crossfitter takes seven to nine hours, and then they pulled them all off the course at nine. And those people were a bit miffed at having paid a couple hundred bucks and traveled to Vermont only to get forcibly DNF'd. And this was the open division. There was also a competitive division and an elite division. And I toyed with entering as competitive, but then I got over myself and went with the open the advantage of the competitive division would be less traffic on the course, and people generally know what they're doing. The advantage to the open division is that they are far less strict about everything, especially how you approach the obstacles. The volunteers really didn't care if we did the obstacles correctly or did all the penalty burpees for not completing the obstacles. I think I could have run around the obstacles and no one would have stopped me. It was a nice, warm, sunny day when Teresa and I rolled into the venue. We had to pay our $10 for parking on both days. 
There were shuttle buses to the starting area. I got kitted up before we went on the bus. Looking at the weather, I decided to go shirtless. I had the same Hoka road shoes that I have used in all my other trail races this summer. I had my water pack. I had considered trying to live off the land, but there didn't look to be much support on the course, and I didn't want to run out of water. I found three old goos that I threw in the pack for fuel. I didn't want to carry a bunch of stuff because of the obstacles. Any extra stuff would have to be dragged through the course. Instead of a hat, I made a hippie helmet out of an old bandana with chili pepper motif. I didn't wear a watch or sunglasses. I put my wedding ring in a zippered pocket in my pack. I've lost a little weight, and it's not so tight anymore, and I didn't want it coming off in an obstacle. And they made you wear a headband with your number on it and a timing chip on your wrist. I put on a pair of Zenza calf sleeves as well. Everyone I saw had either calf sleeves or tall calf socks, and I figured they knew something. I threw a pair of running gloves in the pack in case my hands needed protection. I tried to use those once, but they didn't work worth crap, so I gave up on them. I went with my tried-and-true Brooks baggy shorts with the liner and the man-thong tech undies, and I greased up the pointy bits, and that was it. We were off. Teresa helpfully painted a large Spartan logo on my belly because, hey, when in Rome. I joined the queue up for the 1215 Beast Wave. There looked to be around 100 or so competitors in my wave. And the first thing they make you do is climb over a four-foot wall to get into the corral. That's a nice touch. Then the announcer whips the crowd into a frenzy. And I was chatting with some folks who came in from Ohio, a husband and wife and their friend, And I related how it was my first Spartan race, and I hadn't trained much, but hey, I was a runner. And they said, you'll be fine, just don't go out too fast. But their eyes seemed to say, you have no idea how much trouble you're in. With much hoopla, we were sent en masse on our way. The first obstacles were four-foot-high beams that you had to vault, and I stopped to help a woman who couldn't get over them. And in retrospect, she probably didn't finish. One of the early obstacles was to crawl under barbed wire, and there were two of these on the course, and I found these hard because it tore up my knees and elbows to army crawl through the dirt, and I had to take my pack off and push it ahead of me, which was a pain because it got all dirt covered, and many people roll like logs under the barbed wire, and this seemed to work for them, but they kept kicking me in the head in the process as I was moving pretty slow. And my strategy on the obstacles was to get as much help as I could and take my time and not get injured. Another signature obstacle early in the race is the bucket carry. You get handed a five-gallon bucket. You have to fill it up with gravel and carry it up and around and down a hill. And it turns out all my yoga and core work for these carrying things uh, worked well. Or maybe it was just all the years I've spent running through airports with bags. But I found this really easy, and you can see me smiling in the photos. I'm having a blast. There was a constant series of walls you had to climb over of different heights. And I managed the shorter ones, but with my ability to do no more than three pull-ups, I had to get help getting over the taller ones. And in the open division, getting help is encouraged. Teamwork is part of the Spartan value system. Good thing, too, because without help, I would not have made it through many of these obstacles. It was a warm day, and the course was dry from lack of rain, and I was glad to have the water pack because I was working hard and sweating. 
I refilled it several times. They did manage to engineer in some mud pits in the second half of the race, including one that you had to go completely underwater to get under an obstacle, but these were quite manageable. The big water obstacle was an actual open water swim about halfway around the course. And I say halfway because it was about six miles in, but time-wise it was probably a third of the way through. Like many ultra-type events, they backloaded much of the difficulty, and the back half of the course took much longer. It's a mental game. They like to throw hard stuff at you when you're tired and think you're almost done. I knew the race played this way from reading Joe's book, and one manifestation was to have an obstacle right after every hard climb. Another was to have nonsensical mile markers along the course. <laughs> the actual distance was somewhere between 14 and 15 miles, but if you were watching the mile markers, you were playing a fool's game because they were purposefully random to mess with you. The water obstacle was a lake near the start, around six miles in. You hit this after running, well, I ran, down the mountain, and you were all well warmed up by then. And it's preceded by a tall climbing obstacle. And these climbing obstacles were all super easy, unless you were afraid of heights. I joked that we had playground equipment in the 70s when I was a kid that was worse. When you got to the shoreline of this lake, they stuffed you into one of those big orange life jackets, which prevents people from drowning, but also prevents those of us with a background in triathlon from swimming. The water was advertised as 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, more hyperbole. I would guess it was around 65 or 70, but cold enough that when people go from running down the mountain into the water, they immediately cramp up to holy hell. And I started cramping too, but I knew what was up and just tried to relax my legs. I wasn't getting a propulsion from kicking anyhow with the shoes on. The best strategy seemed to be float on your back, use your arms, and avoid the leg cramps, and lean on the giant life jacket. When you get to the middle of the pond, there was a bridge overhead with rope ladders hanging from it. And this was called the Tarzan Bridge. And you were supposed to climb the rope ladder and swing across dangling rope handholds to the other side. Well, swimming in cold water and climbing the rope ladder was no problem. But I just don't have the hand grip strength to swing from ropes. And I plummeted back into the water after my second grip. This is where I ended up doing my first 30 burpee penalty. I ended up doing 90 on-course penalty burpees, twice for these dangly obstacles and once for being a total spaz in the spear throw. I did all the burpees I was assigned. I didn't do them well, but I did them. And mine were more like the down dogs I had trained for <laughs> than the clean Spartan burpee. Another advantage of being in the open division. Don't have to do clean burpees. They made us swim, wade another quarter mile to get back on trail, and then the really hard climbing was to come. And one obstacle I am tremendously proud of is the rope climb. And this is just what it sounds like. You climb a rope for 20 feet and ring a bell. And the last time I had done this was in eighth grade. And as a chubby kid with no upper body strength, I was awful at it. But this time I wanted to do it. And I set my goal to at least try every obstacle and give it my best. For some reason, I had outrun the pack and was alone at the rope climb. I chose a rope. 
I stood and I slowed my breathing. I took a deep breath, centered my hands to my heart with my eyes closed, and then I climbed that rope and rang that bell like a champ. I may have screamed, F you, rope, in some sort of mindless exorcism of eighth-grade demons. And after the water obstacle, the majority of the competitors seemed to be spent. They were all walking. And every time I came to a flat spot in the trail, there would be 20 to 30 people lounging around and resting. Not me. When the trail opened up, I was psyched to have running room, and I took off at a trot. Why walk? You're going to get there faster running, and you use a different muscle set. I had been choking down a goo every hour or so when I felt my energy flagging, and they helped. I also brought some Duralites with me in a sealed plastic canister, but they got all broken up from the jostling. But they were gone, too, in about three hours. Due to my lack of proper preparation and poor expectation setting, I brought enough supplies for a four-hour race and ended up running a six-and-a-half-hour race. I was hitting the wall in those last couple hours. Nothing I haven't felt before. Even in my current lean state, I've got plenty of fat to fall back on. Not much I could really do except keep moving forward. And then it got hard. About three and a half, four hours into the race, we headed up the final climb. Up until this point, we had climbed parts of the mountain two or three times already. It alternated from trooping up the ski slope to scrambling up some gnarly single path technical in the woods between the slopes. And when I say gnarly, I mean it. Very steep, loose dirt, rocks, roots, trees. In places you could and did use your hands to pull yourself up. They even had ropes in particularly steep spots. And what made these technical sections hard was you could only go as fast as the person in front of you. And there were few opportunities to pass. Technically, it's known as the theory of constraints, which is a fancy way of saying everyone moves as fast as the slowest person. So you'd have to pick your spots and try to jump by people. Otherwise, it was just a conga line of slow-moving feet. And it, it made it hard to choose good line and good footing and to get a rhythm going. The one potential upside was all the young CrossFitter booty in CrossFitter booty shorts I had to eyeball from six inches away all day long. That wasn't awful. They may not know how to trail run, but they look good in their clothes. Going down was the same gnarly single path, but you could build up momentum and get by people easier. A couple times I tucked in behind the ultra runners who seemed to have some sort of implied passing right and just followed them. Once I figured it out, I was just brazenly running the left fringe of the trail, blowing by people by the score. I'd yell, ding, ding, or get out of my way, out of control, old guy. That got a couple chuckles, or coming through. But overall, they had no sense of humor and yelled at me unless I said, on your left. And I'm not used to people being so cranky at a trail race. But these weren't trail runners. And this is the big reason I placed relatively high. They walked, I ran. And I have to tell you, it was fun. Bouncing through the woods, swinging from trees, passing people. Some of the open field descents were too steep to run. And you had to do that sort of shuffle hop movement where you're basically out of control and just touching the ground to slow down every once in a while. This was dicey because the pack was thick. And everyone else, especially later in the race, was not handling the descents with much dignity. Apparently, they were having knee and quad burnout because they were fighting the downhills. They were stopping a lot, walking backwards, walking sideways, 
even scooching down in their bums, and I had to avoid all this. There were a couple steep sections where people would kick rocks loose, and then those rocks would roll down the hill at velocity like two or three pound missiles, and everyone would scream, rock! And you'd hear a chorus, rock, rock, rock. Then you hear, ow, that really hurt. (laughs) So I made it through all the hard stuff without falling, except once in the woods where I went elbow deep into the mud hole where a spring came out of the mountainside. But then as I was careening down one of the last descents in the open slope, I caught a toe and I was in open ground. So I tried to tuck and roll and it worked. I popped back up my feet, but in the process... I slammed my shin and my elbow on some rocks, and the shin really hurt. There wasn't much I could do about it. I pulled my calf sleeves up so I wouldn't have to look at the wound, and I gritted my teeth and kept running and hoped I didn't do too much damage. Then there was that last climb. By this point, we were well into the race. I was well out of fuel and running on fumes, It was a super steep two-mile hike straight up the gondola path to the top of the mountain. This was a death march for everybody. It was just a long conga line, three to four across, slogging up the slope. And I will admit to stopping and resting a number of times on this ascent. When we finally clambered out into the open ground at the very top of the mountain, it was in the clouds and windy. The spectators up there had coats and were shivering, and the temperature dropped, and being mostly naked, you'd think I'd be cold, but I was well into supper mode, and the cold air woke me up a bit. Now I knew we were done climbing, and the finish was down at the bottom of the mountain somewhere. Of course, there was an obstacle at the top of the mountain that had to do with carrying logs like suitcases, which was no problem. I caught my breath and took off down the fire road. I leaned on my training again, cleaned up my form, and I ran. I used my core, and it felt awesome to be moving again after all that slow hiking up the mountain. Coach kept telling me not to worry about the race. The Kardashians could do it, he said. Could the Kardashians do this? Yeah, probably, if they had enough time. I mean, overall, on course, I saw a number of people that really didn't look like they should be doing a race this hard. I think... The positive is that assuming you started early enough, you could take as much time as you wanted. You could take all day and work as a team, and in that sense, anybody could do it. I did see people getting taken off the course for injuries, mostly knees and ankles. I think some of them may have been faking an injury just to get off the damn mountain. Uh, For all the out-of-shape types, there was definitely the lean CrossFit archetype as well. Lots of compact, fit-looking people with six-pack abs. That's the Spartan community. And this race was a culmination of a long journey for many of them, from the sprint to the super, and now their ultimate conquest of the beast. And I met people from all over the country. I passed one guy who had flown in from Australia. And I was wondering if I would see anyone with phones or earbuds on the course. I know millennials love their phones. But the obstacles make having wires a bad idea. So I didn't see any wires. I did see a couple wireless headphones. But the one surprising thing I came across was speakers. At least four people I passed had speakers strapped to their packs and were blasting music. Now, I don't know how they managed the water obstacles with those. 
Mostly, it was millennial hip-hop music that I'm too old to appreciate. But I do remember some Blink-182. And late in the race, I passed a dude up one of the scrambles, and he was blasting some Leonard Skinner. And I obligingly yelled, What do y'all want to hear? Free bird! And he said it was random, and the next song might be Christian music. And we all agreed this climb would be an excellent place to convert people, the kind of place that made you want to ask God for help. So yeah, that's a new one on me. Speakers strapped to your backpack in a race. To finish up the narrative, I got to the bottom of the mountain, ready to be done with it, but they put five obstacles in the last quarter mile just to mess with you. I spazzed out on the spear throw and had to do 30 burpees, which left me totally drained for the subsequent log carry. I managed the atlas ball carry. I had no hope of even trying the last dangly rope thing and did another 30 burpees, and these took a while because I was running on fumes. Then, over the last A-frame climby thing and a final leap across the fire, and I was done. Now, the picture I had of myself leaping over the fire in my head was much more flattering than the actual picture. I looked like a hobo fleeing a structure fire. When we were watching the finish earlier, some fit young dude literally did a flip over the fire. That is styling. Not me, man. I look like a dirty hobo. Was it hard? Yeah. Was it the hardest thing I've ever done? No way. People who have worn their garments on this course clocked it at 14.83 miles. They also clocked 6,700 feet of elevation gain. That's more than a mile. That's more than WAPAC. That's more than the Grand Canyon. So if you want to run this version of the Spartan race, get your leader hose and start mountain training. The man who won the elite version of my race on Saturday was a 26-year-old dude who did it in 3 hours and 32 minutes. The woman was a 29-year-old who did it in 4 hours and 34 minutes. My In my open division, the winner came in at 4.15, and the very last runner took 17 hours to cover this course. That's a long day. The average looks to be in the 8-9 to nine hour range. And just so everyone knows, I want credit for the memorization obstacle. The way that works is you have to memorize a number early in the race, and they're supposed to ask you for it later in the race. Both Teresa and I had to memorize the number. And I took great pride in knowing that my familiarity with the memorization techniques would give me a clear advantage. But no one ever asked either of us for our numbers. So for the record, Quebec 949-5373. We slept in an old hotel in White River Junction and grabbed some barbecue and a craft brew. I earned it. I had a bit of a hard time sleeping because I had so many open scrapes and wounds. (laughs) Every time I rolled over, my whole body lit up like tearing off a Band-Aid. Teresa tackled the sprint the next day, and due to robust genetics, she placed first in her age group, proving all millennials aren't soft. I was getting around fine. My quads were a bit sore, but nothing like a hard road marathon. I could tell I went deep into the glycogen stores because I had the odd struggle with finding the right nouns. As the week has progressed, the scrapes are healing. The nastiest is a rope burn on the back of my ankle from one of the traversing obstacles. 
I was oddly body sore all over, like I had been rolled up in a blanket and beaten with sticks. Nothing hurt badly, but everything hurt a little. I'm content with a six and a half hour finish. Will I go back? Eh, maybe for the shorter races to get the other two pieces of the medal and complete the trifecta. After all, I started with the hard one. Teresa and I had a nice adventure. I got a first-hand look at the Spartan races. I don't know about all the courses, but this one, this beast in Killington, ran a bit like an ultra, maybe a 30k in effort level. So if you're looking for something interesting, go ahead and try a Spartan race.